Live from Washington, D.C., it's Quintessential Listening, Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. My guests tonight are celebrated poets and writers, Jake St. John and Jen Knickerbocker. They've written a poetry collection titled Lips Leave Scars. Welcome, Jake and Jen, to the QLPOR podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Tell me about your book, Lips Leave Scars. What inspired you? We were just writing back and forth, exchanging lines, passing a book back and forth. Jen and I worked together for about uh, 13 years or so, and we had a journal that in between, we taught it to the same school, and in between class or something, we'd pass the journal off, and one of us would write a line or a thought or scribble something down, a picture or something like that. And over the years, the journal started filling up and got in touch with uh, John Robbins, once I got everything organized and it came about from there. All right. All right. The title Lips Leave Scars. The night that we we're organizing the book and editing and we got everything together. The title, for me, the title's always been the title collection of the book. Usually I can get a title for a poem, but getting a uh, collection for the book, uh, a title for the book. Jen and I were talking about it, and I was like, oh, it's always tough. It's difficult to find something that uh, really puts it together. I was just shuffling through some of the poems, and one of the lines, lip sleeve scars, popped up. And I was like, what about lip sleeve scars? And uh, <laughs> she was like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> right. What made the two of you decide to write together this time? How did that come about? I think we were throwing it back and forth. And it was just a way for me to be a little bit creative in a different aspect than music. It came together pretty quickly. Jen, one more question for you. And here's a question that I ask everyone. So now you're being initiated. What is poetry? For me, it, honestly, it's just a creative expression. It's just a different way to get your thoughts and the way you're feeling about whatever it is in your current situation in life out and Sometimes that resonates with people and sometimes it doesn't. And that's okay either way. Now tell me about the cover. How was it created? So the book was put out by uh, Whiskey City Press, John Robbins Press down in Carolina. And he prides himself and uh, the press down there on the covers that they have. So him and Skya Vivian Presented a couple different covers, and this was one that jumped out that we thought uh, encapsulated some of the imagery and the theme overall of the collection. So the, the cover was uh, pretty quick uh, once we got the manuscript to them. All right. Tell me about predominant themes. What's happening in this poetry collection? What do you write about? For me, a lot of it feels um, to do with nature. That It's like a reoccurring. It just comes back constantly. Even if we started one poem one way, it always adds in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, there's themes of love and loss and longing. And it's a pretty romantic collection, but it, it makes its appearance on uh, the trails and uh, mountainsides and things like that. So there's definitely tragedy and there's a little everything. Uh, it was a real fun book to write and to live. I, there's plenty of themes that you can grab out, but I'd say love and nature and would be uh, dominant. Very nice. Thank you. Now it's time for what everyone is here for, to hear your work. Please share some poetry. That's to you. <laughs> All right. This one is called Revolutions. And the reason I want to start with this one is because I remember vividly one morning writing this and the imagery in the beginning, it just explains a little bit. 
I just remember this one really well. Revolutions. Through the window, pale slants of sunshine fall on the folded laundry I placed on the table. Speckles of dust glisten in the sun's rays, spotlighting my mug. I sit wrapped in the thought of your touch. Cooled coffee enters my parched lips. Time becomes relative, the leafless branches. Scratch shadows across the wall, and I sit alone. Separating the authentic from speculation, I know that mountains and rivers and valleys are as genuine as the sun. Yet the synergy of the soul is not as forgiving, and lips leave scars on the skin of years, and the cold coffee leaves a bitterness of discontent, discontent in the state of my life. Thank you. I'm going to read uh, the first poem on my way. I'm reading this specifically because it was the first poem that Jen and I ever got published together. It was published up at Outlaw Poetry. Klaus put it up. He published a lot of our things, but this poem in particular, Klaus, we recently found out, passed away in uh, late weeks in May. This poem was the first poem that we got published in the, the opening poem of the book. On My Way. As the delicate snow finds its destined path to the ground, I look out and ponder its existence. If it's real, then I'm real, alive, thoughts and feelings. Breath after breath, the fragile state of snow, melting on contact, resembles emotional turmoil inside. A book with no words, a forest of trees I carve out a path I must choose. A decision of ages. I opt to no longer be confined to this body, to just be free, alive. An open road to the moon dropping over the horizon. Thank you. Another one is called Regaining My Peace. And the theme of this one, I just feel that it was like a reoccurring thought in all of the poems that we ended up writing together. Here it is, beginning my piece. Standing here in a forest of thought, the silence of stars overcome me. I breathe, keeping tears at bay as I regain my presence of mind. Looking for a path through the wilderness, the snarls of my contemplations perplex me. Yet I yearn for purpose and the end of the trail that leads to you, arms outstretched beneath the moonlight. Comforted by touch, my journey continues. The stars, my friends, my breath abiding, I step forward. Thank you. I'll read one more. This is The Climb. I enjoyed the imagery that came through with this poem. The Climb. Stepping through the narrow trail, I find myself staggering on jagged rocks, peaking from the cold earth's edge. Here I am alone. The moon ripples in the river currents. The air carries nothing but silence. My windswept heart beats in the emptiness. How forlorn life must be, I ask myself in the suffocating stillness. A heavy night of stars wraps me in its arms. Comforted by a beacon, this moon I am hopeful will be my guide and lead me back home. As I listened, a melancholy feeling came over me. And I just want you to know more about your love of nature and play now. I guess going through difficult times in life, as many people do, um, you look and you search for things that'll give you peace and allow you to continue and be happy and find that contentment again. And I found for me that being out in nature and just having that surround me like similar to what you were saying, it just calmed me down. It's just like a, a natural peace. Yeah, I grew up in the woods. And then to piggyback off what Jen said, going through difficult times. And then when the majority of these poems were written was just prior COVID starting. And then quite a few of the poems since then we were out in the woods quite a bit with the journal. So we were writing while we were out on the trails and on the hills and 
everything. And for me, I think being out in nature, like no matter what trials you're going through, whatever issues you're going through, when you're out in nature by yourself and you realize that you're just, you're the same thing as the tree or the bush or the flowers or the deer that in the end, you're all in it the same. So any difficult times that appear to be happening, there's a way through it. There's something greater than just this blip in time that might be giving you a difficult way. So that was always with nature to me. So it is about nature preservation, but also the meditative part of nature to to calm you down and to center. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the preservation. I mean. Edward Abbey was one of my early literary heroes and growing up, growing up on a farm, I, I've always appreciated nature. I, I like to think that there's some sort of desert anarchism or something inside the words, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Mm-hmm. I want to share with everyone that Jake has been on this program before, so he's part of the QLP or family. I asked him the question, who are some of his influences in terms of writing? And Jim, I'd like to ask you the same thing. Who are some of your influences as a writer? That's an interesting question because um, I was explaining this to Jake earlier that in terms of influences and even different styles that people may gain from reading different authors or poets or whatnot, for me, a lot of it just came internally because I was trying to just say something and, and being able to say a different way. So I'm not sure that, that there was one particular poet or an author or something where I latched onto that style and it helped guide me. It was more just trying to get it out. Do you view your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or creative art? I would say a creative art. And the reason is because when I first started writing, I just almost did it as a joke to myself, just to express myself and just was jotting things down. And then Jake was like, hey, why don't you throw a line off this? And being able to express yourself puts yourself out there, gives yourself a sense of uh, vulnerability, which is something that I normally would not do and uh, wouldn't feel as comfortable. But leaning on him a little bit and him allowing me to experience that through mistakes or allowed me to grow as a writer and being able to express myself that way. I think it's more of an art than a talent. What about you, Jake? Creative gift or creative art or a combination? I was thinking in my head when Jen was answering that I would say it's an art because I think with art, you learn, you grow from where you start and then you can gradually If it's an art that you really are passionate about, something you stick with, you're going to grow, you're going to experience, you're going to learn. Because I I think everybody sees things in their own way. It's just whether or not they have given themselves an opportunity to express it, whether it's in uh, poetry or painting or film or whatever output they would want i think everyone's capable of creating art it's just whether they're giving themselves time to plant the seed to let it grow so i think it would be more of an art i know i i worked at it just through reading and asking questions and things like that so don't get me wrong that there are those writers that are clearly gifted that it's just some divine, whatever you want to call it. It's just instilled in them and they can't help but be fantastic. But I, I think a lot of it is art as far as it, how I've developed. To help the listeners better understand the arrangement of the poems in the collection, during the selection process, how did you decide which poems to choose? Originally, I, I talked to John Robbins over at Whiskey City Press because He's done one of my other books before. We were just chatting. I was telling him about this collection that Jen and I had. And I told him that we were going to get it together. So I kept telling Jen, I was like, one of these nights, I want to take a look at the poems and see what I can do. Everything was hectic when 
we were writing it in the journal. So it was like, I, I know I typed some of them up, but I don't know. I, I can't promise that I have everything. And so one night I was on my phone and then I was like, you know what? This, this book's not going to write itself. So I put my phone away <laughs> and then I started going through the poems that I had in the journal. And I, I started yelling from the other room. I was like, Jen, all the poems are in order. I've typed them all out. Like I'd already prepared it like probably a year or so ago. I, I carefully kept them all in order. So I asked her, I, I said, do you want me to arrange them in a certain way? Or like with this type of collection, should we just leave them? And she wanted to just leave them in order, which made sense since that's how they are written. You start with the first poem and they grow off each other from there. So it really was one of those nights where I didn't think we were going to have anything to show from it. And all night I was texting uh, John. I was like, dude, I'm going to have a manuscript for you by the end of the night. Like this thing is coming together real fast. How many poems are in the collection? 33. I think we broke it up. I think there's about 33. Um, there, there's more than 33 poems in the journal, but some of the poems, uh, at a certain point, we cut it off because they started to get a little COVID centric and it yeah. just didn't, they, they didn't vibe. Yeah. It just wasn't all vibe that was cohesive. So in terms of organizing the poems in the collection, how did you group them? Is it primarily by things such as nature or relationships or whatever it may be? How did you go about that piece? Isn't it chronologically for the most part? Or yeah. I, I, yeah, I think the order that we wrote them in, we just kept them in that order for the most part. You didn't yeah. flip any around? Or? No, they, yeah. it was all chronological. And then as far as the poems, we would change lines. And then one of us would read a line and we would mark it and say, that poem's over. Like yeah. that, that line finished it. And then we would jump. It might be a couple of minutes later, start a new poem, or it might be a couple of days. Whoever was up next in uh, the rotation would write something. So there was no intent ever on where we're going to write a poem about this or a poem about that. It was just two people writing a poem that merged together and had a common endpoint. Okay, so chronologically, Jen, you'd write one, and Jake, I'd write a line, she'd write a line, I'd write a line, she'd write a line. Tell me about that process. That's pretty intriguing. It was it was a little crazy at first for me to get used to that because sometimes you write a line and you in your head about what you're trying to express, and then he writes his line, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense to what I'm saying at all. And I had to read it a couple times through, and I was like, all right, I see where you're at, okay. And then I would adjust my next thought process based on what he's saying. So the the themes of the poems and stuff fluctuated as our words did. And then to counter that at the same time, there were times where I would see she would leave me with a really great line and I would have to come up with or I wouldn't have to, but I would tell myself, all right, I'm going to come up with some sort of simile that plays off some wordplay with her line. So I want to see where this thought is going, where she's dangling it out there and I'm going to extended and then give her the chance to wrap it all up because I, I I didn't know where she was going and I always came from in New London we did a lot of the exquisite corpse where write a line fold it over next person so you're only seeing the line before it wasn't quite an exquisite corpse because we had the full uh the full body of work but uh still not knowing where you're going to be headed uh from it so it, it was a really fun and not uh, Jen always had these uh different angles where you never knew where it was going to come from like sometimes I thought it was coming <laughs> from here and then it catches you uh, somewhere else so yeah, it was a really uh fun time please share some more of your work I'm gonna start the story I'm gonna start with sense of being I was reading a lot of Gary Snyder, obviously. I remember starting this poll after reading Pablo Neruda. I remember thinking, I'm going to try and uh, twist that phrase. There was some wording in the translation that uh, I, I really liked, and uh, it set me off. I don't even remember what the poem was that I read, but 
this was one that we put down and we worked from there. Sense of being. My eyes have traveled the curves of the earth, restless and weary as they search for purpose. My fingers have navigated the skin of history, coarse and exposed as they try to grasp reality. My tongue has tasted the mouths of oceans, articulate and accessible as it proclaims conscience and character. My ears have heard the songs of mountains, majestic yet serene as they filter melody from noise. My nose has inhaled the perfumes of forests, brisk and invigorating as it defines my soul and being, and my heart has been captured by you. Thank you. This next one, in the book, and the original book where we were writing this down, as we were writing back and forth lines, at the end of a poem, I would sometimes sketch little drawings and stuff that kind of uh, went along with the poem. But this one, the the description on the later part of the poem um, was always pretty vivid to me. And it's like a different perspective of nature when you're not in a great place. This is hope. The fire burns my thoughts, reducing me to ash. A rush of air sends cinders wild as my mind tends to be these days. But here I sit, boots in dirt, head in hands, alone and forgotten. The single teardrop making its way down my cheek carves a path through debris as I hope for the same clarity to reach my mind and ease my eyes. The agony is suffocating. I take a swig, swallowing the pain for tonight. I relinquish myself to the flames. Thank you. I'll read one more. En route. This is a basic road poem, which I shows up kind of the time in my work. En route. And this one might have been written on, on a road trip that we are both having independently. En route. The stress and anxiety leave my mind like the rain, pushing dead matters down my windshield, leaving my view in the road unobstructed and limitless. My resolve can see for miles. I crave this new trip, this new journey. The adventure begins. Thanks. Jen, do you view yourself more of a storyteller or wordsmith? I would say probably a storyteller. <laughs> it, yeah, I feel like a storyteller just because usually whatever's going on in my mind or whatever's going on in my life, I'm just trying to get it out there. Because if if it's something dark you're going through, then it helps you through it a little bit. Yes. But if it's something, you know, something great happening in your life too, it also opens other doors and just easier for me to explain it that way, I think. It's like a continuation of your thought. What about you, Jake? Storyteller or wordsmith? I think I would view myself as a storyteller. I try to, each of my poems are little snippets of everyday life in the greater scheme of things. I've talked to different people about different projects and novellas and things like that. And every time I want to sit down and write a story, I end up writing a couple of poems. So I, I view it as I'm telling a story. A lot of the poems are conversational, which relate themselves to the storytelling aspect. But I think poetry comes from history because storytelling was here from day one and poetry and the arts kind of come from all of that. Okay. Now, when you're writing, who leads? The poem or you? Who takes the lead? And in this case, I would say the poem. Yeah. Talk to me. You know, like we were mentioning before, a lot of times when you're writing something, um, like if I write a sentence, I might mean one thing. And because he's following up with his own sentence, it twists to a totally different direction. And so the poem kind of takes its own uh, life there, its own way. One of the very first things uh, I learned about writing poetry was from the poet Andy Deppey, who used to live up Massachusetts now is out in Ireland. And she always told us that when you're writing the poem, you might have an idea where you want the poem to go, 
but the poem's going to go where it wants to go. So be honest with yourself. Be honest with what you're writing. Um, let everything get out on the page. Don't try to steer it down a certain avenue and that'll just kill the poem. If you're being honest and you're writing, just write what's coming out, right where the poem is going to let you know what needs to happen. You'll have the feeling and everything. Uh, I, I've never tried to force something into a poem. I've always pulled back when I felt myself like there, there were quite a few times where I would write a line to Jen, give her the journal. And then I would say, all right, I know her next line, when she comes back with her next line, I'm following up with this. And then she would come with something and I'd be like, son of a gun. <laughs> I got to let this chew on this for a couple of minutes. And now I'm back to the drawing board, but I, I wrote that down somewhere else. Maybe be able to hold on to it. But for the poem to mean anything, like your readers, when people read the poem, they're going to know if you're just putting stuff in it, just as filler. Readers can sense the emotion and the honesty. So really, it, no matter what's going on the page, yeah, it's got to be the truth. Here's a question for the both of you. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on the editing process? I feel like the majority of the stuff we wrote is true to how it was. There might have been minor additions or like a word change here or there, but nothing to deflect or to change it from what it, its true core was. I could go on for hours <laughs> on editing. Editing is my absolute favorite part. So I view editing as when all these young poets and I hear so many, and I don't want to, I, I shouldn't say young poets. I hear from a lot of different poets, first thought, best thought. And if you leave it at that phrase, at that concept, that sounds beautiful and romantic and everything, but the first thought is the best thought. And if you want that first thought to be there, you got to go back you got to make sure that you're choosing the right word. You're breaking the lines where it needs to be. You need to read the poem, hear the poem, read the poem, listen to it, figure out what needs to be tweaked and everything without changing what the poem is. But then once the poem's out there, just because it got published in this magazine or just because it got published in another magazine, doesn't mean that's the poem that's going to live for the rest of your life. I remember I submitted a manuscript to a publisher and he really wanted my stuff. And I was super excited about it. And he emailed me and he said, I sent you a couple uh, edits. And majority of the edits were on poems that I'd already had published before. So I was like, I can't go and change all these poems that all these people have read. So I was talking to John Landry, poet out of new mexico and he's one of my mentors and i said john i can't go back and change all these poems like they got this one got published in four different places and this one got published here this one got published here that's fantastic so you edit it and now you got twice as many poems that you had from when you started with i was like holy smokes and he was like don't get caught up in having the poem just stop once it gets on the page so Poems are always living. I, I'm changing poems that are like 15, 20 years old not all the time. I'm not changing, but they, it might be a poem about living in America or living in the world or being a uh, a uh, citizen of Earth. And it might deserve another stanza. It might deserve another two stanzas here and there. Po poetry, it, it's, it is always living. And editing is a craft. You, you really know when you're reading a poem that the poet put the time into to make sure that the image that you're going to get from reading it is the perfect image. So I, I love editing or revised it. Sorry. I could tell. What poetic devices did you most employ? Part of me is like, well, right, if I'm explaining my thought this way and only a handful of people are going to be able to relate to it, then if I switch it up a little bit and just change a couple words to use this imagery or something, then maybe more people will be able to understand what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if that's a specific device, but just variety in terms of 
the same theme, especially because with us, it tends to be nature and love a lot. I, I've always fallen back on similes all the time. I think similes and metaphors enhance the image, whatever you're trying to create, having the simile to air it, elevates it. I'd like you to share with me the titles of five poems in the book. Any five poems. Any five? You're doing this from memory? <laughs> yeah. Eris 2 is one that pops up. Yep. What other ones? I, I'm looking at them quickly. In a River of Stars was one that came up. Drop the Needle was a poem that Jen started. <laughs> and I remember when I got it, when she gave me the first draft, I was like, holy smokes, this isn't a poem that we've written before. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Time Don't Tell and Satellite are the other ones that, when I'm looking at the titles, those are some that would be, that I would want to read in a set. What I'd like to know is, when you're titling a poem, what should you consider? For me, it was a, a little tough. It was because we wouldn't title it until the very end, and I was just glancing through the, the notebook, and there's probably five or six poems in there that still don't have titles. And we would just go about it and then let it simmer for a little while and then go back and be like, okay, what about this? And I'm like, man, we could do better. And we just let it sit there for a little while. And eventually some title will come through. And a lot of times it would end up being a play of words, like he was explaining before, where someone sees the title and they might just assume it's about this. And then when you read it, you're like, wait a minute, that is like a different perspective of what the title was trying to say. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Jen Knickerbocker as well as Jake St. John. Please share some more of your work. This poem is called Unspoken, and I'll just read it and let you listen to it and decide what you feel about it. Unspoken. I find tranquility with you among the trees, rooted in the moment. The constant rushing water is everything I want to say to you. A waterfall of words cascades from my mouth, becoming one with nature and you, a forest blooming in splintered sun. Shining my love cannot be contained like clover overtaking a field. Waves of wildflowers roll over the edge and collapse on the final hours of dawn. Thank you. This poem is called A Cold One. It's pretty stuck. Planetary. <laughs> the cold one. A granite sky holds back sun. I smile, open a beer, take a long swig of knowledge, knowing that nature calls the signals, and I'm a spectator, taking delight in my lack of control, becoming the wind, carrying dreams in a knapsack, opening my arms and my eyes to the infinite possibilities. But until then, I'll sit here drink my beer, and smile as the persistent, dismal day keeps me company. Thank you. Uh, this one is called The Path. I want to tell strangers to smile when I can't myself. This empathetic desire brings some sense of contentment within as I walk eyes to sky, heart, and hand. So maybe I will, a whispered smile, spoken in gestures entangled by you unable and unwilling to uncoil myself from your grasp. These impressions propel me forward, and so the traveler reveals a grin. Thank you. This poem, I'll read this one. Uh, it's called uh, In a River of Stars. Um, 
And this was a lot of these poems were written, uh, at least my lines, um, when we weren't working together at, at night, we would, on the weekends, we would pass the books back and forth to each other. So a lot of these were written fireside in a river of stars. I want to paint words as beautiful as the moonlight that pours from your eyes with lights and darks contrasting your sharp features as I run my fingers along your chin. My lips tremble and travel your chest, my tongue, the guide in this adventure and exploration. Your hands pull me closer in a river of stars. My fingers slide from rib to ab as bodies tense, heart rate soar. The night swallows us as one. Thank you. When we started tonight and you shared your word, that melancholy feeling came over me, but I don't feel that anymore. It's more of a sense of resolve, commitment to moving forward, embracing the world as it is, knowing it is what it is. The chronological piece makes sense because for me, it changes. It starts in one place and chronologically moves to a different I don't know, way of being, a way of thinking. What do you think about what I'm saying? Does it make sense at all? Am I right? Am I wrong? Or does it really matter? Yeah, and I'm trying to think when we wrote the first poem to the last one that's in this book, how long of a time span it was. I don't know if you remember, because I know as a person, I felt like I was morphing and I was changing during that time as well. Yeah, I would say... I think the timeline of the book is about two and a half years or so. But I, I think if you look at each poem in, in independently, th this is a really melancholy poem or that this poem is really boned out. But if you, if you read them one, two, three at a time and then read the entire collection, I think it almost, and, and I've heard it before that play almost like a concept album i can't think right now like the beatles not, not that i'm comparing this to the beatles <laughs> uh but uh, the concept of this poem next poem plays off the first and leads into the next so you are on a journey of traveling we were friends writing these so we we had our own independent <laughs> things going on in our own lives and uh, so there is a journey there there is a concept that play together where you start at the first poem isn't where you're going to end at the end the last poem Jen you mentioned in one of the poems the word empathy what exactly is empathy in relation to the book it's being able to hear someone's words and putting yourself in their situation as to what they're expressing and what they were going through at that time and it's interesting because sometimes the poems don't let you know truly what's happening and it's just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think empathy in gen general is so important and being able to express that in poems as well. What about you, Jake? Empathy for you. How important is it for you? Uh, empathy is very important. I think if we're able to put, if we're able to put into words what's happening in our personal lives, and put the pain that we're going through on the page and have somebody else to connect, have somebody else read it, connect and feel the same way, but not know what we're all feeling. There's just, there's a sense of knowing that somebody else feels the same way as me and it's validated and I can grow from this pain, knowing that everybody has their own things going on. Ha having sympathy is one thing, having empathy and understanding the pain and understanding where the pain comes from brings it to a whole another higher order of thinking and connection. And it brings up the question that I'd wanted to ask earlier. Back to the first set of poems and the melancholy feeling that I had, it made me wonder, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? For, for me, sometimes it does because you're 
putting your truth out there and you don't know how other people are going to interpret your truth and how that's going to affect them. And even if it's somebody and how that might affect you, but uh, yeah, it hurts, but it's also a sense of release in some way to get it out there, get what you're feeling out there so you can move forward. Yeah. I, I think I always try to write honestly, but then there's a certain point where you're writing and you're really, you open, you bleed onto the page and it's cathartic where you don't put any limits on what you're going to say. You're going to open it up and you're going to let, you're going to let it flow. You don't want to hold anything back. You might not want to be spot on and specific, but in the poem, you're going to be honest. You're going to let your entire being relate into this poem and contribute. And hopefully what you get on the page is a cathartic release of emotion. Now, are you hoping this book will resonate with a broad range of readers? Or are you targeting a specific audience? I feel like for me, being a teacher, you try to reach as many people as possible. That's kind of my goal. <laughs> I'm hoping that it just gets out into the public. We're doing a book signing at a pro wrestling event in a couple of weeks. I've never thought I'd be selling books at a pro wrestling show, but I'm hoping that it, that this book will get out into the audience. I really get a kick out of leaving my books in the most random places, doctor's offices and different place. I want everybody to read it and I'm not too difficult to find. I don't put contact info on it. I'd always get a kick out of people emailing me here and there about where they found the book or something like that. I think it's fun having different people connect to it. Please share some more from Lips Leave Scars. Uh, this poem is called Visions of Reverie and I actually remember uh, starting this poem because uh, my kids were at practice. And so there I was being that parent, you know, just sitting in the field while they're doing their thing. And I just looked up at the sky and just took a moment and noticed the contrast between a tree and the sunset happening behind it. And so anyway, this is Visions of Reverie. Looking in the distance, clouds painting the sky, blues and yellows, white lines diverge. Stories are spoken in the realm of the horizon. My regard wanders as I peer to the west. The promise of hope rides free over the prairies that open under the sun, a limitless terrain of self-discovery. My purpose more tenacious than yesterday's morn, how I ache for this candor and more. Thank you. This is a poem from, we wrote together in a pizza joint in town. <laughs> Observation from Booth. Drinking a beer in the shadow of Michael's meat market, taking in bits of conversation divulged over wine, oiled friends catching up, never missing a beat. To my left sits experience. More words are said with a look rather than speech. Age has left them. Less a couple, now more a single unit with thoughts aligned. Now I take in the stars that hang over your head somewhere else tonight. This next one relates back to what you were saying earlier, Michael, about how there was like a transition throughout the book. It's called Modulation, which was talking about changes in a song. So here's Modulation. Somewhere overhead, a plane flies. Cars rush with ambition. Stop, get out, go. Children laugh unwavering. There I sit, serene and alive. Stars glitter in the abyss. Embracing solitude, I abandon thought. Sound vanishes, I become one with nature. Immersed inside my heartbeat, just audible above the peepers and birds. And in this second, all things are golden and beautiful. Thank you. I'm going to read one more. This poem, Jen and I were driving on the highway and we were in, we were in traffic. It wasn't bumper to bumper, so we are moving slowly along and i looked out i was in the passenger seat and i looked out the high out the window and out in the distance i saw a man sitting on the edge of a rock it was only wood there was no roads there was nothing around and it was just the woods and forest and there was a man 
sitting on this rock and he just looked so sad. And this is the poem that came of it. Naturalistic colors. The man sits upon loose stone, face and hands, taking a moment alone and letting his humanity fall through fingers, turning stone into deeper shades of memory, mirroring the sky, heavy with sorrow, sharp intake of breath, attempting to hold that life once more. Thank you. Jay and I asked Jake this question when he first was on the program. And the question is, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? I wouldn't say it was too early, but it was uh, profound for me. I, my grandmother was sick at the time, and I would come down on weekends and stay over and help her out and whatnot. And I remember picking up an, like an old leather, small little book, and I was just, I don't know what this is. And I looked through, and I realized that it was poetry that my grandfather had written and the fact that someone who went through world war ii and whatnot and was just seemed not disconnected but someone who wasn't emotionally available all the time was able to still express themselves was surprising and made it almost feel like it was okay to be able to express yourself that way thank you how would you describe your poetry in terms of what it communicates about the human condition I've always looked at poetry as trying to paint a picture of just a snapshot of my life and how it might relate to other people, how other, how there might be some sort of connection, no matter how different each of us are. This snapshot of whatever is happening at that moment that I write about, I, I want to relate it to other people and I want to connect with other people. And I, I, I want my emotions to tie into their emotions. So when I think about the human condition, I want there to be some sort of togetherness and some sort of understanding. I always want to have some sort of tie to the audience. Yeah, the human condition for, for me, um, there, there's just, it, it can be so deep. And I don't want to be that person who performs the another just surface only, and they don't allow you to get to know the the author and who and what they're really going through, um, which leads to a sense of vulnerability, which is scary, but the exciting part about writing poems and able to find an audience that can relate to that and read a poem. And maybe the first time reading it surface only, and the second time, wait a minute, there's more to this. That's the thrill I get from this. Yeah, right. I asked Jake this question when he was with me several years ago. There's the good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent in the world in which we live. Jim, what I'd like to know from you is, and Jake, maybe you want to expound on your answer. It's been a couple of years now. What is the role of a poet in modern day society? The role of a poet, in my mind, this is obviously my opinion, is not much different than a songwriter or an entertainer to some degree. You can use that venue, that voice, to be able to express however deep or however much you want to. This relates to the last question because I feel like the deeper and the more vulnerable you make yourself in terms of what topics you may be willing to write about, or how much information you're going to let the reader into allows it to progress to what it is. All right. All right. I'm probably going to say the same thing I said last time. It, and and I, I would love to go back and check. Um, <laughs> I, I've often said that if you want to read the news, go read a poem. And poets, if you want to know what's going on in the world, Go ahead and read your poets. There's so many poets all over the place that uh, anybody that's listening to us right now, they've got more than enough access to uh, so many poets. And there, there really is a hotbed of real life poetry happening right now where there, there are 
poets that are, they're skilled, they're talented, and they're knowledgeable. And they're telling you about the life that they're living. And the life that they're living is just an offshoot of the communities that they're coming from. These poets are telling you how they're living and how their neighbors are living and how their friends are living. And we get all the mass media shoved at us explaining what, what's going on in the world and what we're supposed to think and what we're supposed to feel. But when you're reading your local poet or you're online and you're reading different poets that are alive today, that's where you're getting the real humanity. That's where you're getting the real sense of togetherness and empathy and loss and sadness. And when you're able to find these poets and find some, just some fantastic, we really truly are in a heyday of poetry. I, I really truly believe that there's so much poetry open up to the world right now, but so much of it is good. There's so many good poets that are telling us about the human condition, like you were saying. And I think the, the role of the poet is to speak the truth and to speak what they've seen and to love and to pass a form of compassion and empathy along to the audience when, when the poem's going on, because it's not a one-way street. The poet reacts to the audience and the audience reacts to the poet. And I, I think the role of a poet is a role of a uh, innovator or relaying information. You've written Lips Leave Scars. What did you learn about each other writing this book? As well as what did you learn about yourself writing this book? That's a little twist on that question. All right. About myself. Like I, like I mentioned before, I've, I've written a little bit, but I never really showed anyone. It was just too much vulnerability for me. It was too scary. And that's the truth. And allowing someone into your thought process, because I'm not writing a whole poem. I'm not telling him, like, here's the whole story. Read it and tell me what you think. It's more like, here's just a tiny thought. What do you think of this? It just kind of let me grow as a person and allow myself to to be able to express whatever it is I needed to at that time to find happiness, which is what everyone is trying to do. I feel like for myself, it, it really helped me to just let myself be vulnerable. Yeah. I would say the same thing. Becoming vulnerable because I've always had a very specific idea of what poetry is and what my poetry is. So when Jen and I were writing together, having Jen bring different things to the table in her poetry forced me to adapt and alter how I would see things. What the direction of the poem or the imagery or son of a gun, I wanted to use, I wanted to relate this to the moon somehow. And Damien Rucci would probably get very upset if he heard me say that, but that's just a generic statement that it forced me to step out of my comfort zone. And I think just like with when you're a painter or you're any kind of artist, you have your thing that you can fall back on. And I, I think working together, we were able to steer each other in directions that we weren't comfortable in. I think it was getting out of the comfort zone and giving up control really and just taking whatever is put in front of you taking that and doing what you can with it I, I think the world would be a better place if we could all get out of our comfort zones every now and then something funny in relation to that is when we were collaborating a lot of times we would go back and forth and then at the end of it it would be like wait hold on go back to this line what'd you really mean because <laughs> I, I really wanted to know more about what he was trying to express in the paper after we finished the poem just because because I know I took it one way, but I don't know if that was the way he was intending. So yeah, there, interesting. there was no, while the poem was happening, there was no conversation yeah. about any of it. We're taking each line as it was given, just yeah. how, based on our experience and taking that line and running with it. It wasn't until the poem was over where it was like, oh, that's what you meant by that? <laughs> I totally thought it was a lot deeper or holy sports. I didn't even think of that. So <laughs> it was pretty, pretty fun. 
I'd like to ask you both to do me a favor. Would you both be willing to share one more each from the book? Sure. sure. Okay. Slow down. Slow down. It was like you both were ready. <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> we, we needed the drama there. Right. We should have pulled us through the second. I don't know all the time. Do you want to go first? Yeah, go first. Ladies first. I'm over here looking at Sherwin. All right. All right. So this one I'm picking uh, purely by the title because it's called Perception. And the poems are as you, the reader, perceive them. So here we go. Perception. Struggles to grasp terrain on the way up lead to a resolution. Being stronger on the way down, morning still has me grabbing my head, not knowing east from west, north from south, or why you're not here. Even when descending upon the lush green, one cannot see the road ahead when their eyes are sheltered and fear the view. Thank you. And this is, I read the first poem. I'm going to read the last poem in the book. So they, this was based on an image that I've had over the years of uh, um, a dilapidated old amusement park that I used to go to when I was a kid, but dreaming of it was not the same place that I was at. And that was the image that started it. The poem grew from there. So this poem is called uh, Reflections. I've dreamt of theme parks I've never visited, empty and void of life. I walk a stranger among the growth, weeds wrapped between the ribs of roller coasters, strangling past lives, concealing thoughts, harboring secrets. Steel wreckage of dreams under an old sun that seems to fade as quickly as I these days. After dusk, there are no lights to illuminate the bones. Only shadows settle in, like an old friend, drunk and counterfeit memories. Thank you. Thank you. If poetry were banned tomorrow, what would you do instead to express yourself? Maybe writing in general. If writing were banned tomorrow, how would you express yourself? I was going to say it would probably be a rebel and do it anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> that was my answer. If, if writing and poetry was banned tomorrow... I Go would underground. Spend, I would spend the whole day writing poetry. <laughs> All right, then. Where can the book be purchased? You can find it on Amazon from Whiskey City Press, Lips Leave Scars. Where do you go from here? What's next for both of you creatively? I'd like each one of you to answer that question. For me, I've tangled with continuing writing stuff on my own. I haven't showed you them all. <laughs> but in general, just moving forward with that, because it, it was a fun adventure being able to express myself this way, and I'd like to continue it. But on, on another note, I think it would be fun and um, interesting to see the comparison if we will continue to write. Like, we still are writing, but just not nearly as much as we were when uh, we were writing during uh, COVID and all that. Yeah. But uh, it would be interesting to see the differences and similarities between this book and something down the road as our lives had cha have changed since then. Yeah, um, I, I look forward to writing uh, more books together. Coming up. I've got a chapbook from Holy and Intoxicated Press out in the UK that's coming out. And then I have a small collection of poems that I'd like to spend some time with and do something with coming up. But uh, I'm looking forward to, I, I really look forward to just writing again and getting the pen on the paper, as I always say. <laughs> I am so glad that our paths crossed. Me too. I agree. You've written a wonderful collection of poetry that we all need to read. Thank you. I wish you both nothing but the best. To the listeners, as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Take care.
Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.